Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. I am excited. We are uh, in a mini-series called Align With His Design. Last week, we talked about living loved by God. That is first. That is foundational. That is a priority that comes before we jump into the topic that we're talking about today. Because we need to understand, first and foremost, who God is before we start looking and digging into God. understanding who we are through scripture. That's why we always start with reading the stories in scripture. What is this saying about God? Then secondly, we come over, what is this saying about me? It also helps to emphasize two parts of understanding God. First is covenant, which is understanding God as father. And then today we're gonna talk about the kingdom and really understanding God as king, covenant and kingdom. So, did you do your homework last week? How many of you floated in your pool? How many of you went for a walk? Okay, four of us. All right, listen, we've got to receive what God is giving to us. So I need you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5 with me. And we are going to uh, dive into the second part of Align With His Design, living as royal heirs of God. And we're going to be talking about identity as royal heirs of God. Let's start off with this statement. George MacDonald said, since we are the sons and the daughters of God, we must become the sons and daughters of God. We must learn how to become the sons of God, what God has given to us. So when we talk about alignment, all of us understand if you are out of whack, you go to the chiropractor so that he can get you into alignment. Well, in the kingdom, when we bring ourselves into alignment, that has to do with us coming into agreement. Agreement with what God has said about us. Agreement with every word that he speaks over us. Agreement with what he says because when we're answering the question of identity, who am I? We don't look to people to be our potters. We look to and ask ourselves, where did I come from? Who was my creator? The greatest source of our identity is always going to come from from God. So alignment requires agreement. It also requires arrangement, putting things in proper order. Order makes way for beauty. So if we put identity as royal heirs of God before living loved by God, we'll start focusing in, in an emphasis in the wrong way. But when we understand that we're loved by God, then we can trust that everything that God says about us Uh, is true. And this brings authority. This brings the kingdom. This brings power into our lives when we operate this way. So how you are known in heaven is by far the most important thing for you and I to establish who we're going to become on the earth. Here's what 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says. You are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Royal priests, royal, 
kingly in nature, from a kingdom. God has a kingdom that he desires to establish. It is not like earthly kings and earthly kingdoms. It is wholly different. That's where we get the word holy. Completely different. It is a kingdom of grace and love. It is a kingdom of mercy and compassion. It is a kingdom of healing, health, and life. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all, uh, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which uh, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Years ago, this is one of my favorite stories. It's a, it's a true story about King Louis XVI's son. So King Louis XVI had a son. His son was actually in line to take over the throne. So there was a group of individuals, we'll call them hoodlums, who were seeking to overthrow what was taking place in that kingdom. So they kidnapped King Louis's son, and they basically took him away, and they decided if they could expose him to all the vile, just uh, pleasures of life, that certainly they could get him to falter, and that they would, that would make him weak, and they would be able to take over. So week after week, month after month, they exposed him to all the things that you could think of, food that was beyond his appetite to get him just uh, immersed in giving himself over to that. They exposed him to lewd and lusting women, to dishonor, to distrust, anything that would cause the soul of someone to slip. But after months of doing this, the son had not caved in in any way, shape, or form, and it frustrated the kidnappers. And so they asked him, we, we don't understand. Anybody, everybody would fall prey to all of these enticements. Why haven't you? And his response is so great. And I believe it is the foundational response that God desires for my heart. He said, I cannot do what you ask, for I was born to be a king. Inside of each and every one of us, God has imparted a DNA. He has crafted us in the image of God, and he has placed his spirit on the inside of us. And it means something. It's huge. And the greatest battle that you and I will fight in this life is over who we are. And the voices that we listen to consistently are going to shape us. They have shaped us. Most of us, when, we, when we're uh, answering the question, who am I, it's, the answer that comes most frequently from us is what we do, what we feel, what we, we think, as opposed to be embedded, lock, stock, and barrel, anchored in the reality of who God says that we are. I love this in 1 Samuel 10, 25. It's kind of an obscure passage. It says, then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty. And he wrote it in a book and he laid it before the Lord. I want to know where that book is. But ultimately, this book has the secrets for us to understand the behavior of royalty. Because remember, behavior is a byproduct of belief. We're not seeking to modify our behavior. We're seeking to believe that everything that God says about us is true. Understand the kingdom that he has given to us to bring to this earth and walk that out. And Amos 3 tells us, can two walk together unless they are agreed? No, 
Are you in agreement with what God has uh, said about you? Daily, this week, this morning. Are you in agreement with it? Psalms 133.1 tells us that God commands a blessing on unity or agreement. When you and I come into agreement with the God of the universe, the one in whose image we are made, blessing takes place. When we are unified with him. Do you know what the biggest problem on the earth is right now? Like, think about it. In our city, in our community, in your neighborhood, in the world at large, in the state, in the U.S., whatever it is. Do you know what the biggest problem is? I'm sure you have some ideas. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 5. I think there is some insight here. It says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, or see, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us. What tense is that? Past tense, thank you. Nobody answered. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, not counting their sins against them. Why? Because he took care of them. And has committed to us, someone shout us. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is a, a phenomenal passage. Here's what I think the biggest problem on earth is. It is a royal people of God not understanding the royal calling on our lives to bring the goodness of God to this earth. The church has been railing against sin. There's been hate, division, politics, conflict, this is not the ministry that you and I have been given. Imagine if the church was to understand that our message is be reconciled to God. Your account has been paid. The debt has been canceled. What if we began to do what the passage said? We regard no one according to the flesh, not status, not possessions, no, like we are not responding to people after the flesh. We are looking to who and how God sees people. We're treasure seekers. God's commissioned us. Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, has solved the problem of sin or disconnection from God. And he gave us the opportunity, the beautiful opportunity to go around and tell people, this is who you are. 
yeah, but you don't understand the trauma, this happened, all these bad, no, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. This is the greatest responsibility and role that we have, church. This is one of the greatest things that I get to do, is to sit and to pastor people as they tell me, all of the things that have shaped them over this life, and I get to go, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's great, that's great, but this is who you are. This is what God says about you. This is how God sees you. There are no human enemies. There are only people that we are not finding treasure in. That's good. God's commissioned us to find treasure in people. This is a big deal on the earth because right now with everybody coming at one another and opposing each other, knowing and regarding everyone after the flesh, there is an opportunity for a group of people to see people according to the ministry that God gave to his royal priests on this earth. We need an awakening. Church, we don't need a revival. We're not dead. We've been made alive to Christ, but we do need an awakening. We need to wake up, Romans 13, 11, do, and do this understanding the present time. The hour that we're in, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation, that's the, the Greek word soteria, health, deliverance, safety, wholeness. It's nearer now than when we first believed. We need an awakening to the completed perfect love that we have been given. We need to return to our first love by understanding and receiving that love and giving it back to God and giving it away to others, fully abandoned to his grace and his power. We need an awakening for compassion for people so that we might seek out the treasure inside of them, give our service and lives, our lives in service of the kingdom that God has asked us and watch people's responses. When people feel and experience the goodness of God. It's what Romans 8.19 talks about. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons and daughters of God coming into their own. This is what they're waiting on. They're waiting on you to love the hell out of them. They are all in so much confusion and chaos. And many of us in here are as well. But, but we have been given so much, and for us to be able to seize that. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That word glory is a Greek word, D-O-X-A, doxa. It means dignity and worth, value. Christ in you, the hope of dignity, worth, and value. So what happens to us is another obscure passage in Proverbs 3.21 through 22, it says this, under three things, the earth quakes, and under four, it cannot bear up. Under a pauper, when he becomes a king. What is this saying? Usually, a pauper is born into insignificance. He grows up, he learns through life that he has no value. His opinions don't matter. We had to learn to be losers. We've come and been trained in a lot of ways as paupers on this earth. And then God establishes our righteousness. God establishes our identity. He establishes us. But what happens is when we step into this role, just like a pauper when he becomes a king, he's important to the world around him. You have significance to the world around you, but inside he still feels insignificant in the kingdom 
that lies within him. And so he doesn't watch his words. He doesn't understand how to develop his character. And he doesn't know how to carry himself on the earth. He doesn't seek treasure in others. And he ends up destroying the very people that he's called to serve. So for many of us, we need to establish ourselves like Moses did, like Solomon. Solomon was born into royalty and understood. Moses was not, but God placed him in the palace. And most of us have been living with a prison mentality rather than stepping fully into the palace, into the beauty of what God has called us into. So we, we, we get to thinking that our identity comes from behavior. It comes from possessions and social positions and titles and achievements. But all identity means is sameness, oneness, being the same as who or what we identify with. That's not too difficult, right? Who or what we identify with. And so what happens is we begin to identify with the things of this earth rather than the uh, upside down understanding. So that leads us to think that our past equals our identity. Philippians 3.13 says, I, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. That's a myth. Your past does not equal your identity. Well, we often think appearance equals identity. Some have referred to this. There has been many studies in medical journals over the Quasimodo complex. You can look it up later. But, but our appearance equals our identity. 1 Samuel 16, 7 reminds us, man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. Identity is of the heart. And it's important for us to realize in, whom, in whose image we have been made so that we might trust and understand that this mirror right here the perfect law of liberty is where we see the reflection of who we are designed by our creator. Also, behavior equals identity. Luke 16, 15 says, So he said to them, You are the ones who declare yourselves just and upright in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts, your thoughts, your desires, your secrets, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. God's interested in what's going on in your heart. And sometimes there's a process of getting rid of our past so that we might step fully into who God designed us to be. Also, possessions equal identity. Luke 12, 15, then he said to them, watch out, guard yourselves against every form of greed for not even when one has an overflowing abundance does his life consist of, nor is it derived from his possessions. Is that what you think? Is that how you've thought? Or do your possessions get more of your attention than the reality of the royal heir of God that you have been made? And last, status equals identity. Romans 2.11, for God shows no partiality, no arbitrary favoritism with him. One person is not more important than the other. It would be like if you, the first time you ever saw the sun, it was eclipsed. And so you thought that that's what the sun looked like. This, for many of us, is, is the problem because we are looking um, at an understanding of ourselves based on an earth-trained perspective. And so it has clouded and cluttered us from being able to truly see what God has deposited on the inside of us. And what it requires is humility. 
And humility, I love this definition of it. I would write this down, but humility is to give up your view and opinion for God's view and opinion. So we humble ourselves to realize that the one who created it all, the one who has all power, who has all authority, that we give up our view and opinion and we go with what he says about us. And it's pretty awesome. All right? So we get out of alignment. These things get us out of alignment and we miss out on stepping into fully agreeing, fully arranging our lives in a way that God sees fit, that we would embrace who he's made us to be, not just, not just in our families, but on this earth. God has so much for you and I to do. So Brad, what does it look like for us to come into alignment when it comes to our identity as royal heirs of God? Well, let's, let's start again um, just making the statement that your true identity is found in him. And identity is of the heart. And so all those things I read, all those myths create a false identity, a false sense of self. Doesn't mean you're bad. Doesn't mean you're, uh, you know, something negative against you. It just means that we have to awaken. We have to be aware and realize that those things have established a false identity. And so you can just do inventory. Have I been living out of possessions or appearance or my behavior or people pleasing? All those things are false identities. But God's desire is that we would become our true child of God's selves. Here's why. Isaiah 49.1 says, God put me to work from the day I was born. The moment I entered the world, he named me. Ephesians 3.14 and 15 says, we bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is Named. Named. Names are a really big deal in the Bible. They were actually a really big deal uh, on the earth for, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's not till recently we just started naming our children like things that we thought was, was cool, you know? Like, ooh, that'd be a cool name. Let's call him Pillar. Let's call him like, you know, Sky, Clouds, or whatever your name is. If that's your name, that's an awesome name, but... But for, I mean, hundreds of years, naming ceremonies were so big because people were given names based on what they, they believed God had given for them to do on the earth. And we see it in Scripture, right? God changes names. Jacob was named, and, and his action was deceiver. God gave him a new name, Israel, Prince of God. This is what God does all throughout Scripture. So when you're reading Scripture, pay attention to that because God has a name for you. My son's name is Tyler, which it means one who lays tile. So I've had to go back and say, one who lays tile is not what God has given to you as, as your identity. It's a great name though, okay? All right. So when God begins to give you a name or God begins to speak, when he gives you a promise in Scripture, that's the end of you having to petition God for something. That's the time that you begin to declare something. So the very first thing we do to get into alignment with our identity, you can write this down, is we pick up our script and we act it out. We pick up our script and act it out. The script shares. A little play on words there. We pick it up and we begin to act it out. I mean, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the apostles. And that is because the apostles acted. They were acting in accordance with what 
Jesus had demonstrated, showcased, and spoken to them. And it's interesting if you read the book of Acts that the very last verse in Acts 28, it's just abrupt ending. As if to let us know that you and I are to continue in Acts 29, the Acts of the Apostles. We're the ones who were put on this earth to act out Scripture. Now, my kids are right now, they're involved heavily in the Heroes Academy. And so all around my house, there are these scripts, pages and pages of scripts, where I am so proud of them for memorizing and, and, and uh, kind of getting together with their friends and they're acting this out. Why? So that they can put on a display for the children that will be here next week. How often do you actively activate the scriptures? Do you use your imagination to begin to act out what God has said about you? Is it just stories? Do you just read it glibly or do you embrace it? Colossians 3.1, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Ephesians 4.24 says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This this is establishing a, a sense of confidence in authority. And when you and I begin to act it out, this isn't, this isn't far-fetched. We put God's word in our mouth. Or you can put the words of everyone else around you, which you've been listening to for years, who spoke down to you, who spoke high of you, all of your achievements and your accomplishments. And I can tell you that there is an emptiness. And you're still wondering, who am I? But as you bring your vocal cords in alignment with God's word, something happens. And as you allow yourself to hear God's voice, God begins to speak. I was just texting with somebody on Thursday morning about this. They were reaching out to me about something that they were going, going through. And I just had asked them, like, what is the word that God is speaking to you? Like, is there a picture? What is the word? And after a little uh, dialogue, I, I, I had to answer. And I said, so the word is bird. The word is bird. This is the picture and image that God's given to you. I believe so. I said, interesting. Do you know how many references there are to birds in the Bible? I mean, I just so happen to have a book. I didn't even know this, but I was looking on my, on my uh, iBooks. Uh, it's called Consider the Birds, the Provocative Guide to Birds of the Bible. And as he and I chatted, I was like, let's think about the eagles, the sparrow, the ravens. The Bible says, consider the birds of the air. Like when God gives you a word and you begin to hear what he's saying, some of us, we just, we just shut it off in our minds. We're like, well, that's a bird. The word is bird? Like that, that seems odd until you lean in, until you search for the treasure that God has for us. You know, there's so many places in scripture. It says, consider yourselves dead to sin and consider yourselves alive to Christ. There are so many things for us to pick up our script and begin to act it out. 1 John 4, 17 says this, as he is, so are we in this world. There's so much for us to grab in this. So much for us to align ourselves with. 
so that we might become the sons of God. The second thing we have to do is we have to learn the language. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. I mean, how do we live in a world but not be people of the world? We have to learn to speak a new language. You know, many management books will tell you that language creates culture. And culture is like the air that you breathe in an organization. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. So what do you do, whether it's on a team, whether it's in business, or whether it's the kingdom? You learn the language because language creates culture. Right? Right now, with uh, the Suns, the Suns created culture, uh, the Suns basketball team created culture, rally the valley. That's not that exciting to me, but I'm excited that they are up 3-0. Anybody else? All right. More excited than I, some of the previous questions I asked. That's a problem. All right. All right. So what is the language of heaven? What is the language of God? Do you know it? Do you speak it? Like grace, joy, kindness, favor, unconditional love. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. A new mindset, a new language. It's the process of alignment. Colossians 3.16 tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Favor, love, freedom, heirs, ones who receive their allotted possession by right of sonship and daughtership, inheritance, new creation, promise, promise a divine assurance of good do you know the promises do you speak the promises when God grants you things through scripture the exceeding and abundant precious promises he wants you to take those things for granted he wants you to be in agreement with those things he wants those to be the things that you speak consistently, constantly, because when you do, they create culture. They change an atmosphere. You are not the victim of your circumstances. You are not the victim of your environment. You are the architect of it. With the words of God, to allow everything in your life to change, you're royal. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God loves you. He cares about you. He wants you to receive his love. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The old person is dead. This isn't an improvement plan. God's not trying to make you more improved. The old you is dead. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are in Christ learning to be Christ-like. As we watch and see and learn how Jesus operated on this earth, we are to be imitators of him. What did he bring? He brought peace. He brought healing. He brought health. He brought wholeness. So my question to you is, if you were to examine the last week or last months, what language have you been most fluent in? Think about your everyday conversations. It'll give you a clue. 
Does your language reflect the promises, the favor, the love, the peace and joy of God's nature that lives on the inside of you? Or have you been thinking about, talking about, rehearsing another language? That's, that was what happened in Genesis 3, right? The lie of lack. When, when the enemy came and he, and he told Adam and Eve, he said, you'll, if you eat from this tree, you'll be like God. The problem was they were already like God. And so it created a disconnection because they were trying to do something that they already were. Like you are crafted in the image of God. Is that how you walk on this earth? Do you understand that fully? And the third thing is to be aware of what you aren't wearing. Psalms 93 says the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Psalms 104.1. He's clothed with honor and majesty. I mean, majesty is part of the language and part of the wardrobe of God in whom, in whose image you have been crafted. The majesty of God, the royal power, the dignity, the beauty, that's who you and I are. Romans uh, 13, 13 through 14 says, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted into taking care of all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time, doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over, dawn is about to break, uh, break, be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute. Must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence and sleeping around in dissipation and bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Being something we weren't created to. It says, get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. You know, um, if you ever watch some of the red carpet events, they often will ask the ladies who are walking uh, down the red carpet, who are you wearing? You know, who are you wearing? And so they'll give some, you know, uh, popular, you know, fashion designer. But the the reality is all of us, we, we identify sometimes with clothing. Men will wear power suits or they will wear, you know, flip-flops and jeans and a jacket or something like that to kind of identify against those power suits. But women sometimes will dress provocatively to get attention. It's not far-fetched for us to consider who we are wearing. But identity is being the same as who or what we identify with. And I, I don't know if you've, you do this in your life, but when you begin to hear God speaking over your life, do you begin to identify with it? Now, over the years, I have actually done this in a number of different ways. Sometimes it will be, I will find if God is speaking gratefulness, favor, um, you know, pause, adventure. I will find a shirt, not that that gives, uh, you know, recognition to some popular, uh, you know, fashion designer, but I'll, I'll put that word across my chest. Why? So that I see it constantly. I'm thinking about it, constantly aware of it. I might wear something around my neck. I might wear something on my finger, on my wrist. Why? Because I am seeking to digest and to receive what God is saying to me. How are you dressed? Well, Brad, guys don't do this. Harley-Davidson shirts, Carhartt, 
right? Uh, Travis Matthew. Of course you do. I'm just asking that you would understand fully how God made you. Matthew 6.30 said, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive and green today, and tomorrow is cut, uh, cut and thrown as fuel into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Think about Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve had, you know, were, came to realize that they were naked and they were ashamed, and so they, fit, they sewed fig leaves together. God didn't leave them abandoned. He actually provided them a wardrobe. He gave them animal skins to wear. In Deuteronomy 8, the Israelites were given garments and shoes that didn't wear out. Psalms talked about, talks about being clothed with salvation. Isaiah, put on your beautiful clothes. Matthew 25 talks about people needing clothes and us clothing them. Luke 24, we've been clothed with power from on high. 2 Corinthians 5, 3, when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. God desires for you and I to be clothed. He desires for us to understand majesty and the fullness of what salvation means because he wants you and I to realize that belongings play a role in our sense of self. He wants you and I to not just showcase the fashion designers of our day, he wants us to show off how he's fashioned us to remind ourselves, to remember who he's made us to be. Because it's, it's not so far-fetched for us to realize that when we identify with what God is saying over us, that it begins to cause an awareness and an activation. It allows us to begin to see and to say things over people on this earth causes us to pay attention, causes us to recognize and to realize that what God says about us is the most important, the most true thing about us. And what happens, Brad? What happens when we grasp this? What happens when we establish our language and our clothing? What happens when we grab our script and act it out? The goodness of God is unleashed on the earth. The sons and daughters of God step into their rightful duties and privileges to bring wholeness and goodness to the earth. While the wor world is in chaos and confused and hurting and feeling insecure and inadequate, we get to be the people of God. But this is who you are. This is who uh, God says you are. This is how God sees you. This is what he wants to say about you right now. Somebody at work says something negative, tries to bust chuck you, you're able to respond, not according to the flesh. You're able to be like, yeah, okay, but this is who you are. This is how God sees you. Husbands and wives at home, you want to experience the fullness of the intimacy that God has? Come in the opposite spirit of your spouse who's stressed out, who's feeling overwhelmed. You come in the spirit that says, this is who you are. This is how God sees you. I've been praying for you. This is the word that God has given me for you. It changes the atmosphere. It changes the climate. It changes the earth. Are you with me? It changes everything because this is who we are. This is who we are. Here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down to the front right now. 
And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Would you do that? Would you stand up? And I'm going to have them end with a song, but there's a few things that I, I want to ask of you. Um, one is during this time, if you're having trouble seeing who you are, if you're having trouble seeing others the way that God sees them, well, I want to remind you of how many blind people Jesus ministered to while he was on this earth. All of them. All of them were blind. Physically, spiritually, we need our eyes open. That's what scripture says. Let our eyes of understanding be flooded with light, that we would know the hope of our calling. And if you're here, and the way that you see yourself is down here, and all you can hear is the destructive, discouraging, uh, disempowering voice, well, you've got someone right, right up here at the front that wants to, on behalf of the kingdom, wants to speak a word to you. They have been instructed, they are already empowered to be able to say over you what God says, what God sees, and you need that. Don't leave without that. Some of you need to, in this moment, just ask God, God, tell me the truth about who I am. Tell me the truth about who I am, and tell me the truth about who they are when I leave this place. My coworkers, that, that you know, person in my family that I've been hating on so long, tell me the truth about who they are. How do you see them? How do you see me? God, give us compassion. Ignite in our hearts the identity that you have established for us so that we might rule and reign on this earth and bring about love and grace and mercy and peace and joy. Don't leave us the same we came in here. We're not here for messages. We're here to be transformed. We're here to allow the light that God has showcased to eradicate the darkness and the fear and the shame so that we might walk in honor and dignity and value and blessing on this earth. So as Aaron sings this song over you, respond. Respond if you need prayer. Respond in this moment to close your eyes and to hear from God. Hear what he wants to say to you directly, personally. Don't discount it. Don't, don't wipe it away. I don't care if it's bird. I don't care if it's some other word. God's in this place. He wants to speak to you. He wants to establish you. He wants to bless you. He wants to impart to you. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been coming to church. If it's your first day, it doesn't matter. He's in this room. And we're here to receive the identity that he's given to us. Let's worship him. Let's respond to him.
darkest night You were close like no other I've known you as a father Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.